0: Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethAmmanuel.org. If you enjoy the teachings from Beth Emanuel, share the links with your friends. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends about the things you are learning at Beth Emanuel. Help us grow the message. In this week's Torah portion, Viachel Pekudei, the community of Israel comes together in a remarkable show of solidarity to contribute toward the construction of the tabernacle. We read about how all the people participated in the effort to make a dwelling place for God. The people contributed fabrics, precious stones, gold, silver, ramskins, acacia wood, oil, spices, everything necessary for the effort. Moreover, God's spirit inspired people of the community with wisdom, insight, and knowledge for all types of craftsmanship. They contributed their talents working together to build a holy sanctuary as a dwelling place for God's presence in the midst of Israel. In the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul seizes upon this story as a metaphor to illustrate the community of Yeshua's disciples joining together into one effort for the sake of building a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's more, Our Torah portion describes the construction of the tabernacle's courtyards, the outer court, the inner court, which is called the holy place, and the place behind the curtain, which is called the holy of holies. In the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul employs the layout of the temple's courtyards to illustrate the idea of Gentile disciples who previously were far from God being brought near through the Messiah. In Paul's day, the largest of all the temple's courts was the great court of the Gentiles. Men and women from all nations, many of them tourists and visitors to Jerusalem, others God-fearers who revered the God of Israel, routinely ascended to the top of the Temple Mount and congregated in the court of the Gentiles. There they could worship the God of Israel and pay their respects to the Jewish God, even if they themselves were polytheists. They could not, however, proceed from the court of the Gentiles and enter into the temple proper. A dividing wall stood between the Gentile worshiper and the inner courts of the temple. Jews were allowed to go in as far as the altar of burnt offering. Gentiles could not enter the holy courts. Josephus writes about the dividing wall of partition. There was a partition made of stone all around, whose height was three cubits; its construction was very elegant; upon it stood pillars at equal distances from one another, declaring the law of purity, some in Greek and some in Roman letters, that no foreigner should go within that sanctuary. Jewish War. In another place, he says, it was a stone wall for a partition with an inscription which forbade any foreigner to go in under pain of death. Antiquities. Archaeologists, excavating around the ruins of of the temple have discovered pieces of these signs Josephus talks about with these very inscriptions. In Acts 21, Paul was in the temple bringing sacrifices for purification and the completion of a vow. In order to do so, he had to enter the temple up to the very court of Israel. As he passed from the court of the Gentiles and into the courts of Israel, several pilgrims from Asia Minor recognized him. They had earlier seen Paul around, Jer- around Jerusalem with Trophimus in Ephesian, a Gentile from Ephesus. The Jews from Asia Minor knew Paul. They knew that his message was flooding the synagogues all over Asia Minor with Gentiles because those were their own synagogues. They knew something of his theology regarding Gentiles, if not the details of it. They at least knew enough to be certain that they did not like him. Naturally, they assumed that Paul was now here in Jerusalem bringing his beloved Gentiles past the dividing wall and into the very court of Israel, just as he had brought so many Gentiles into their own synagogues. They tried to accost him. Acts 21, beginning in verse 28, says, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and against the law and against this place. Moreover, he brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up. And the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. None of the statements they made about Paul were true. Paul did not bring Trophimus, the Ephesian, into the temple. He did not teach against the Jewish people, against the Torah, or against the temple. And he did not bring Greeks into the temple or defile the holy place. He taught that Gentile disciples do not and should not become Jewish. He taught that Gentile disciples are not under the law as Jewish people. And he taught that the temple will, in the future, be a house of prayer for all nations, the geographic and religious center of the world for both Jews and Gentiles. Paul did not bring Gentiles past the temple's dividing wall— but he did transgress the metaphoric wall separating Israel from non-Israel. He had obscured the sharp lines of who was in and who was out by bringing non-Jews into the Jewish religion to worship the Jewish God through allegiance to the Jewish Messiah. He had transgressed a social and religious boundary. His disregard for the metaphoric wall between Jew and Gentile led to his arrest, imprisonment, and eventual trial in Rome. While imprisoned in Rome, Paul wrote the epistle to the Ephesians. In the epistle, he was deliberately clear about their identity as Gentiles. He makes it obvious that they were excluded from Israel. He says, You were separate from Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. They were foreigners to the covenants of Israel. They had no claim to the covenants of the forefathers. Subsequent to casting allegiance with the Messiah, however, they have undergone a change in status. While they were formerly aliens, and strangers to the nation of Israel. Somehow, through some mystery, their identity has changed. But now in the Messiah, Yeshua, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of the Messiah, Paul says. This new status and identity did not depend upon becoming Jewish. Not by works, lest any man should boast, Paul said. And by works, he meant the conventional conversion ritual complete with works of circumcision, immersion, and sacrifice, the works of the Pauline epistles. The spiritual transformation Paul spoke of was not by works, but by grace, through faith. It came by the grace of God bestowed simply and purely through allegiance to Yeshua, He explains the mechanics of the process in Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The image of a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile alludes directly to the wall of separation between the court of the Gentiles and the court of Israel. The wall of separation which forbade Gentiles on pain of death from entering the court of Israel and the temple of God was a potent metaphor for the theological exclusion of Gentiles from the kingdom and the hope of the world to come. According to Paul, the wall of separation, the barrier between the people of the nations and the people of God is destroyed by Messiah. As we read through Ephesians 2, we hit a speed bump at 2:14 and 15, which seems to affirm the replacement theology view that Christ canceled the law. Here's how it reads in the English Standard Version, Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Compare the paraphrase in the New International Version. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. The translators of the English Standard Version and the New International Version, like most translators of English versions of the Bible, have rendered the Greek to say that not only did Messiah's death bring peace between Jewish and Gentile disciples, but it also abolished the Torah. According to this interpretation, the death of the Messiah erased the distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and the whole Torah of Moses. By this reading, Jew and Gentile are thus made alike on the basis that, with the law abolished, Jews no longer have any obligations to remain Jewish or practice Judaism. Obviously, this is a problem in that it conflicts with the rest of the Bible and with the Master's explicit prohibition on supposing that he intended to abolish the Torah. I understand the passage differently. I do not read it as stating that Messiah abolishes the Torah. Rather, he abolishes the enmity engendered by Torah. For clarity, I believe it should read, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity specification of the source of this enmity then follows immediately, the Torah with its commandments and regulations. It is the Torah's commandments and regulations which have caused the enmity between Jew and Gentile, but it is the enmity that has been abolished. The King James Version, which is a more literal rendering of the Greek, does a better job of translating the verse Here's how it sounds in the King James. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. It's not completely clear what Paul means by the odd phrase, law of commandments contained in ordinances. But I believe the statement refers to a halakhic argument over Jew-Gentile interaction within the assembly of Messiah, which we see coming up frequently in Acts and in the epistles. It has to do with the boundaries of table fellowship and purity concerns. It's true that the Torah does engender a sort of enmity between Israel and the idolatrous Gentile world in that every command and ordinance marks out the parameters of who Israel is and who Israel is not. Israel belongs to God as his chosen people, his treasured possession, while the nations belong to the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2.2. And the Torah creates a dividing wall that keeps the two types of people separated. The Torah determined who was in and who was out. The commandments of the Torah are directed to the children of Israel, not to the children of Adam, and not even to the children of Noah, except for the broadest strokes of ethical monotheism. In that regard, the Torah itself created the wall of separation that kept Jews and Gentiles separate. But what if the Gentiles were to abandon idolatry and to cast their allegiance with the king of Israel? In that case, the enmity between the two and the need for separation is abolished. From this perspective, Ephesians 2:14 and 15 does not contradict the master's words in Matthew five seventeen. do not think that I have come to abolish the Torah. Instead, it indicates that the Gentile disciples of Yeshua have been brought past the metaphoric dividing wall that once kept Jewish people and non-Jewish people on opposite sides of the fence. It says, for he himself is our peace. In first-century Judaism, the dividing wall of hostility was more than just a metaphor. It was a literal wall in the temple's outer courts that kept gentiles at a distance. In the messianic era, I don't believe there will be a wall of division in the temple. The prophet Isaiah declares that the stranger who keeps the Sabbath and holds fast to God's covenant will be received in the innermost courts of the temple, his sacrifices will be received on the altar, and the temple will be a house of prayer for all nations. Paul probably had this very passage in mind as he wrote of Messiah abolishing the dividing wall. The dividing wall, which would forbid the Gentile from entering the temple to offer sacrifice, seems to be completely absent in Isaiah's Messianic Age prophecy. Isaiah says, Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Messiah creates in himself one new man from the two. The Greek of Ephesians 2.15 can literally be rendered to say, to make in himself out of two one new man, so making peace. Under the influence of replacement theology, The English Standard Version subtly rewords it to say that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Replacement theology does not get much more explicit than that. According to that translation, a Jewish Christian is no longer Jewish, and a Gentile Christian is no longer Gentile. Their new man identity has replaced those former identities. In other words, once a Jew becomes a disciple of Yeshua, he or she is no longer Jewish. That's not at all Paul's intention. His intention is that while retaining their distinct identities, the Jewish people and the people from the nations are brought together like complementary parts of a puzzle to create a third entity. I have heard Rabbi Schiffman complain, Why is the one new man always uncircumcised? His point is that this passage has been misinterpreted to negate Jewish identity by homogenizing it with Gentile identity. That's a huge error. Messiah did not come to abolish Jewish identity or to abolish Gentile identity but he brings them together into a new thing called the kingdom of heaven so making peace that he might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility ephesians 2:16 paul's theology looks toward the future resurrection we die with messiah on the cross and we rise to new life with him. And in the resurrection, these distinctions of Jew and Gentile really will be abolished. They are utterly irrelevant to the resurrected, just as they are irrelevant to the spirit. Of course, in practical terms, we aren't actually dead and resurrected yet. Distinction still remains, but that's just for a short little while a brief transitionary period until the resurrection. In the meantime, we have already attained this new identity, the new creature in spiritual communion between the two. Ephesians 2.17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that is the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near." that is the Jews an allusion to Isaiah 57:19 that says peace peace to the far and to the near as Simon Peter said to the Jewish people in the temple on the day of Shavuot the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself acts 2:39 This unity does not come through the elimination of distinction. It comes through the fact that we both draw near to God through the same portal, namely the Messiah. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. Salvation in Messiah opens that portal for both Jewish people and Gentiles from the nations. In conclusion, Paul can say to the Gentiles in Ephesus, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 This does not mean that they have become Jewish or that Jewish identity has been neutralized. To be made fellow citizens refers to our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven under the King of Israel, King Messiah. The Gentile disciples in Ephesus are made fellow citizens with the Jewish people in the kingdom, not fellow citizens in the Jewish nation, Israel according to the flesh, since both retain respective national identities. Paul says that the Gentiles in Ephesus have become fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, which I take to mean the community of Yeshua in the nation of Israel, that is, the Jewish believers who represent Israel to the Gentiles. Paul speaks here on behalf of the saints and the household of God. He describes this household of God as built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets the Messiah, Yeshua himself, being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. He is describing Israel. It's built upon the foundation of the Torah and the prophets, and now further established upon the foundation of the apostles who testify to the resurrection of the Messiah. The Messiah himself, it turns out, is the chief cornerstone, a reference to Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Let's make sure we see the picture, because the metaphors are changing quickly. At this point in the epistle, Paul depicts the nation of Israel as the saints and household of God, a structure being joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In so doing, he alludes to our Torah portion in which the whole community of Israel contributes toward the construction of the tabernacle as they create a holy temple and dwelling place for the Spirit of God. The metaphor invokes the image of Moses assembling the various parts of the tabernacle to create the dwelling place of God. Far from replacing Israel, the picture is of the Jewish people as the saints and household of God built upon the prophets, the apostles, and the Messiah himself as a holy temple. Where do the Gentile disciples in Ephesus fit into this picture? Are they to be left behind the dividing wall again? No, the chapter concludes with another direct address to the Gentile readers. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, Ephesians 2.22. Not only has the metaphoric dividing wall, which once separated us, been broken down, But both peoples are being built together into this spiritual temple. The structure is not yet complete. But when it is, we will see the end of our Torah portion, which says, So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And learn from me and find rest for your soul.